Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to HealthWise 360 with Christy Cordingly. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of HealthWise 360, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I'm your show host, Chrissy Cordingly, and you'll be able to see this interview on In the Limelight TV, which is distributed on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and 100 other smart TV apps. The audio version of this interview, of course, can be heard wherever you listen to your podcasts. And today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be interviewing Karen Owak, who is a clinical exercise physiologist and cardiopulmonary rehabilitation at the Palo Alto VA Medical Center and works privately as a medical fitness trainer and plant-based nutrition consultant. She's a speaker on lifestyle medicine and has been the weekly TV health expert on KRON for news in San Francisco for the past four and a half years, speaking on all aspects of healthy living in over 200 television interviews. Certified by the American College of Sports Medicine, Karen focuses on the fascinating findings of human longevity and center area and lifestyle. Because of her love for sports and her family history of early onset heart disease uh, and stroke, Karen focused on a career path where food and exercise are used to treat, manage, and prevent disease. And she just released her first book on functional longevity, Athletes and Aprons, the Nutrition Playbook to Break 100. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karen. Well, thank you so much for having me, Christy. Very excited to speak. So first, I have to say that I love that your website is Karen for Your Health. I think I love word puns, and I think that is brilliant. Karen for Your Health. I love that so much. Um, But maybe let's just start with sharing what a clinical exercise physiologist is, and maybe a little bit about your expertise and background in exercise nutrition. So I focus on um, the the community that is has medical conditions. So it's not like a personal trainer, that type of person that's in a gym. I'm focused on working the hospitals and like I do for the VA. Um, my patients have multiple types of chronic conditions, you know, of everything from heart disease. My focus is heart heart disease. Uh, people with transplants had a, had a heart attack, have had some type of surgery, and then also pulmonary disease, uh, particu- particularly uh, COPD, emphysema, and uh, trying to rehab them, bring them back to where they're very functional and have improved outcomes. Um my background, I've been doing this for many years, and uh, I studied nutrition uh, along with the exercise physiology. And all when I was, when I was, you know, the first when I was first in college, but I realized that I was an athlete at the time, too. And I realized the connection between how I feel how I performed with nutrition. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And we're going to get into a bit about longevity and nutrition and some specifics, but I, I'm, I'm a heart person and you sent me your heart story today, the purpose of what you do and why you do it. Uh, but could you share the story possibly of your, your brother with our audience before we dive deeper into how we can age well? Yeah, so I do have a family history of early onset heart disease and stroke. So I knew just when I was in college, I knew that I needed to do something in order to kind of 
overcome these these genetic uh, predispositions. Mm -hmm. So uh, I chose to, you know, focus on nutrition and health and exercise. My brother, he was, we were not, I, we were both opposites growing up and he had, uh, he had uh, atherosclerosis, type two diabetes, abdominal obesity, all those things, all those lifestyle uh, chronic diseases. And when he was 35, he had a heart attack. And, and fortunately, I was home at the time visiting. And he, he said, I have indigestion and all that. But I can tell I knew right away he was having a heart attack. And I called the paramedics and he didn't want to go to the hospital. He said, call my doctor. I said, no, you need to go to the, and he actually refused. He would not go with the paramedics. And the paramedics told me we can't force him to go with us. Um, so uh, my dad ended up driving him, which is the worst mistake because I've had patients who were driven to the hospital by their spouse, and they have cardiac arrest on, on the way to the hospital. Yes. Also, just as a, a note, if you go with the paramedics, they have the ability to call call the hospitals and find out if the cath lab is open and that they can bring a patient in and open up that artery. Uh, so if you are driving, you drive to a hospital and they say, our cath lab is full, we can't take you. So then you have to go somewhere else. So always, always, always go with the, the paramedics. So anyway, he did end up having a, a heart attack, what's called the which a, a, uh, the LAD, which yeah. is Widowmaker, is one that was affected. And uh, he had a four-way uh, bypass. Wow. Uh, his recovery, and, and I was the perfect one to help him recover because <laughs> that, was, that was my, I was cardiac rehab. But, you know, being a family member, it was very difficult. And, and my patients, you can choose two ways to go in life. You could either choose to say, okay, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to change. Uh, or uh, you, you could go the easy route saying, these are the cards I've been dealt. I'm just going to live my life the way uh, I want. And, and that's what he did. Uh, I couldn't help him, and he ended up having passing away at the age of forty nine. So I'm he sorry was, to hear that. Yeah, very, very too young. He's missed out on so much, and I, I really miss him. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's almost like a disease, right? Some of these chronic illness. Well, they are a disease, but there there's a lot of mental and other things that go into them. It's it's not so simple for everybody. It's not, so it's very much so. It you know especially with overeating because I've mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of patients with those um, eating disorders and. And it is, it's, uh, we wouldn't have an, an eating issue or we wouldn't have a weight issue if we all ate when we were only hungry, mm -hmm. but we don't do that. The, it's tied with emotions. So that emotional eating cycle, which is what drives people to eat. And uh, it's difficult to break out of that. Mm -hmm. And even if we're eating emotionally, we're not grabbing you know, our emotional bag of carrots or broccoli, yeah. right? You're not so. grabbing broccoli. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and you know what? The only way 
to break out of that emotional eating cycle. And I call it diet. Diets are what drive us to uh, just make it worse because diets lead to what I call the three Ds, uh, deprivation, defeat, and then depression. And then Mm -hmm. you just get stuck in that cycle. And the only way out of that is to say, to be cognizant that you're doing it. Because I have so many people tell me, you know, I told myself I'm not going to eat the chips. I'm not going to eat the, the the chocolate chip cookies, but I can't stop. And and you first have to recognize why you're craving those foods. What are you doing? You know, what what are you feeling at that time? And then they start to see a pattern. They said, oh, I was really stressed at work. And I wanted those cookies. I was craving those cookies or Mm -hmm. I was very lonely or I was very bored. And then I was craving these particular foods. So it really takes a lot of mental energy to figure this out. (laughs) It it is a bit of a healing process to figure out what are some of the non-food sources of nourishment I'm lacking in. So I'm not feeling physically hungry. Like maybe I just need a little more joy in my life or I need to work on fixing a relationship or whatever it is. Sometimes it's easier, right? To grab the food than to do some of those hard healing things. But it's so important because we do want to live long lives and have what you call functional longevity. So what does it mean to you for us to be functional as we age? So functional longevity is there are three, three, uh, layers to that. So longevity is just living a long life. And um, there, there are, first of all, to be functionally, live a functional life, first, you want to be able to do the things you need to do. So these are your activities of daily living. So being able to dress yourself, being able to uh, shower and do all these things on your own. And, and then there's that second layer of do the things that you want to do, you know, things that, and this is what I see in a lot of my patients because uh, they, a lot of my patients are Vietnam combat veterans. So they are really suffering from the effects of their experiences and, and they will see these projects They're they're in their home and they see these projects that they want to do, you know, whether it's, it's uh, mowing the lawn or fixing the, the door, whatever. And they see that and it gets very depressing because they can't do those things that they want to do. And then the third thing is to be able to do the things you love to do. <laughs> so these are those passionate things, you know, things like if you love to to ski or or ride a bike or whatever it is and and be able to do those things. So functional longevity means you you're able to do the things you need to do, you want to do and that you love to do. I love that. Mm-hmm. And so what disrupts that to us? So what disrupts healthy aging? Because we do see examples of people that definitely live incredibly active and long lives, but it isn't always the case, right? right? Is it, and you talked a little bit about this deck of cards, you know, are we handed a certain genetic deck of cards to play with, or can we take some control over how well we age? What is the disruption factor and what are some things we can do to disrupt the disruption? <laughs> We definitely have control. And that's what my book is all about. And, mm-hmm. you know, taking control of uh, how well you feel and how fast you age and how functional you're going to be in your 80s, 90s and beyond. So um, now going back to your original question. <laughs> <laughs> what 
health, what disrupts the healthy <laughs> aging? The three things. Yeah. Yes. First of all, diet mm-hmm. and then lifestyle and uh, positivity. Mm-hmm. So positivity is really important. And I can, I can tell people, you know, this is, you know, this, these are the things that we need to focus on as far as eating and, and this exercise. But if you don't believe that you can do it, then it's not going to happen. So belief is a very important component of changing your lifestyle. I, I see it over and over again. And, and I always, and, and this is what was great about when people have a community and they all are trying to make those changes together, it really helps because they see someone else doing it. I'm like, oh, she can actually do it. I think I can too. So that belief in yourself that, uh, and really drives you to commit and, and, and follow through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I mean, and that's really cognitive behavior therapy, right? What you think is what's going to create how you feel and how you feel is how you're going to behave. So exactly. it's, it's absolutely true. It all goes back to the brain, <laughs> <laughs> the emotional yeah. eating and the belief that you can do it. <laughs> and it's funny because when it comes to health and wellness, right, a lot of us focus, or even if we see magazines on the stand still, that's still, I can't believe print magazines are still around, but they are, you know, we see just pictures of bodies and everything is very physical, right? It's all about the food and the body and the exercise, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. is such a mental and emotional component and the brain is its own organ that that does need its yeah. own exercise as well absolutely absolutely so what are things we can look for in ourselves to identify when we are perhaps not functionally fit or or you know maybe we're not aging as well as we could and how do we start the journey to becoming functionally fit is there ever a point to no return or can we start any time in life Oh, gosh, you could start anytime. Uh, I've had patients come to me at 92 that show improvement. So uh, what I do is I I test my patients. I do a functional test. And the first thing I always start out with is balance. If you don't have good balance, you're not going to be a really good uh, walker and and if you can't ambulate well, then you're going to be functionally dependent. <laughs> you're going to need someone to help you get around and walk around. You're going to need a walker or a wheelchair eventually and need someone to push you. So yeah, we always start out with balance and testing and see how well a person can stand on one leg uh, for a period of time. And, and there is a study done in Japan that they found that if a person cannot stand on one leg for at least 20 seconds, that there's an association with microbleeds in the brain, cognitive decline. So it was it's a really interesting study. So uh, I always focus on on balance because that tells me a lot, not just about their physicality, but also what's going on that possibly in the brain too. Mm-hmm. So if we have people at home that are starting to, what are some of the earlier signs that they can start to notice at home to maybe reach out for support before it gets to the point of, wow, I am really losing balance or losing mobility or I've lost a lot of function. What are some of the early signs that we can be like, oh, I maybe should pay a little more attention to my lifestyle? Right. So tripping. And people don't may not necessarily fall, but kind of those those little stumbles, which people don't always 
you know, they just say, oh, I, I just on <laughs> something. Or, but those are things that I feel are really notable. And those are the things I always ask my patients every week. Did you fall? Did you stumble or, or, or what? Um, a lot of people, and this is why it's very important to test your own balance. And because you cannot, um, a lot of people don't even recognize it. This is what I hear all the time. Whenever I test, what happened to my balance? <laughs> I mean- <laughs> They are shocked. I, I will tell you, Chrissy, 98% of the time they tell me what happened to my balance. I first of all, I always ask them, well, how do you think you are? You know, stability wise and balance. Have you fallen? Oh, no, I'm good. And when I test them, they just are shocked. So I think for the person at home, you know, test your balance. And the way you do that is, is you cross your arms so that your wrists are crossed across your chest and then stand on one leg and raise the other leg so that le the leg is about parallel uh, to the floor. Mm -hmm. So it's it's raised at a, a 90 degree angle and see how long you can hold that that position hopefully for at least 20 seconds. Um, but you can start working on, on, if you don't, then there are ways that you can start strengthening and working on balance to start. Mm -hmm. But that's a good starting point just to see, you know, where you are. Because if you don't have good balance, you're not going to be very uh, efficient at doing some of the other exercises that need to be, you know, just the walking, like I said. And you're going to be prone to incidents and injuries, right? Because uh -huh. you could fall over, you could bump into something and all those things. So And climbing upstairs, that requires standing on one foot, bringing the other one up. So if you find yourself doing the one, the two step, you know, taking a step, bring the other <laughs> one, uh, then then that's another clue. Oh, or climbing up sideways up the steps. So mm -hmm. that's another clue that you're losing uh, the balance. Shuffling of the feet. And if you're not comfortable on one foot, I mean, that's what walking is, taking a step, lifting the other leg up, it's in, in flight, and then you drop the other one down. When you see the shuffling of the feet, then people aren't comfortable um, on one foot. So mm -hmm. that's another another sign to look for. It's a good indicator. Thank you. So mm -hmm. your book is called Athletes and Aprons. And I love that you have a unique definition of what athletes what the word athletes means to you. So can you share what that is and why this book is great for anybody wanting to feel and live better? So athletes, I use that term because um, anyone could be an athlete. We always think of the athletes, you know, as being a very exclusive group, but it is actually very inclusive because we have um, athletes are, you know, it's not about what you how well you perform or it's not about the uniform that you wear it's all about how hard you persevere and in wanting to be better than you were yesterday and to keep striving and and striving to finish and that's what to me is the definition of an athlete you can be a cancer survivor a cardiac patient you know, the back of the packer, those are all athletes and they should not be dismissed or feel like they're not part of that group. So that's why I called it athletes in aprons. And what, and like, then, oh, sorry, go, go on. No, no, you go ahead. It's also, uh, I, it's written in kind of a sports speak. Mm -hmm. So it goes along with uh, the whole uh, 
the whole the way I kind of laid out the book with my coach notes. So this is the book, and 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 it's a very easy read. Uh, I have my coach notes on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's I, I've worked with mostly men because um, in cardiac cardiopulmonary rehab because women generally don't survive a heart attack. So most of the people in cardiac rehab are men. Uh, So I learned through all my experiences that men don't really like to read uh, health books. (laughs) But uh, when I was in in the hospital setting, I used to have like a whiteboard and bullet points uh, every, every week. And boy, they used to love, they used to love coming and, and reading the board, asking questions. And I realized, well, men are very interested in this health information but it has to be digestible and and easy to read um and so that's how i laid out the book so um that's it's appealing to when I, whenever a man tells me oh i couldn't put your book down then i go <laughs> Oh, that was exactly the objective it's a playbook absolutely they love strategy mm-hmm. strategy absolutely. and humor and, and humor, humor. definitely yeah. definitely you said something women generally don't survive heart attacks can you tell me why that is yeah uh that's it's, it, women tend to have their heart attacks later in life mm-hmm. so they have other uh chronic conditions tied into that. So that makes it harder for them to survive or survive any kind of uh, surgery treatment. But the thing is, women have very different symptoms uh, than a man. When it comes to a heart attack, women tend to have um, maybe indigestion, and they have back pain. Uh, the women that I've treated in cardiac rehab, they said they had no idea they were having a heart attack. They thought, oh, I must have been vacuuming too too much. My back was aching. Uh, the other thing with women, so they don't have chest, they generally don't have chest pain like that, that what men, that cla- those classic symptoms. <laughs> so it's dismissed. And the other thing with women, they tend to be nurturers. So they don't tend to really take note of what's going on and they put it off thinking, oh, it's nothing. They have other things to do. They have to tend to the families and and do all that. So they don't go into the hospital right away. There's a very small window of time that you need to go in and get that artery opened in order to not suffer permanent heart damage. Most women take 56 hours before they actually go in to see a physician about their condition. And they don't generally will go to the ER. They'll make an appointment or, or whatever. So they they have very extensive heart damage and they're older, other chronic conditions. So they generally don't survive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So That's awareness true. for women is very important. Yes, to identify the signs, but also the risk factors, right? So nutrition, lifestyle, exercise, stress, all those things that are really important too. And and family history, they found that women Mm. that are have a a family history, their mother had a stroke. They also see that in the daughters uh, that they have a higher risk of stroke as well as a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's an increased risk of death too. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So even more important to take the steps, right. To, yes. Yes. to prevent as much as possible. So yeah. your 
athletes and aprons, tell us a little bit about what's inside. So you talk about your strategies and coaching strategies, but it's largely based on plant-based nutrition, right? So you're teaching people how to eat more plants. Can you share a little bit about the benefit of plants for cardiac health? So I go in this in the first few chapters, I go into the foundational science of why we age, because I found out when people understand why the whys, then they're more <laughs> apt to to take steps. <laughs> they, they would always tell me, oh, OK, the light bulb goes off. Oh, oh, OK, that makes sense. And then that that makes it easier to say, uh, I don't want that. I'll take this. Um so we go into the foundational science and then there's so many, um, well, you're, you're probably also familiar with all the phytonutrients that are, uh, are found in plant-based foods. I do encourage some fish, uh, but it's, so it's basically fish, uh, plus lots of plants mm -hmm. and, um, Plants, uh, all the different colors, because all the colors are tied in with the different phytonutrients. So eating a very colorful diet. I had one patient who told me, you wouldn't believe I was at the store because he, he, I always tell him about the colors. He goes, I had all the colors. I went through the produce. <laughs> I had this great colorful basket of, of fruits and vegetables. And he said, a lady came up to me and said, Wow, you have a very pretty basket. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then actually, that's what we want. We want forget the the stuff that comes out of the boxes, but going to the produce section and really focusing on all those reds and greens and purples and oranges. So uh, you'll get the most bang for your buck. You'll get the all those phytonutrients that help help. Uh, uh, help you with anti-aging versus mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely i've heard that a lot of phyto some certain phytonutrients can actually really smooth the muscle in in the in the heart that there is like a real cardiac benefit to that like that's that's what some of these plant foods do can do i'm not sure if that's true or not but uh, as far as actually smoothing the muscle, I, I haven't heard that, but it does have very, uh, it has benefits. You know, one of the things that, one of the biggest culprits when, when someone asked me, what's the worst food that I could have <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to aging? And I said, sugar, yeah. you know, all those, you know, all those sugary coated food, foods, the cookies and the cereals and all because sugar binds with protein. And one of the most abundant and longest living proteins in your body is collagen. You know, the collagen is the stuff you see at the, on the, in the beauty counter <laughs> and the jars and, oh, this is going to make you, your skin look great. So collagen, when it binds with collagen, they, it forms what's called cross-linking protein, cross-link proteins, and it comes very stiff. And when, you know, I don't think people realize that collagen just not in your skin, but it's in your tissues, it's in your heart, it's in your arteries, it's in your joints and, and muscles. So if you've eaten, you know, if you lived a life of eating sugar, lots of sugar all your life, it's not going to be surprising that by the time you're in your 60s, that you are very stiff. You have, you, you wake up, your body's stiff, uh, especially if you haven't been uh, 
exercising as well. But you'll also notice it in your face too, you know, more, more wrinkles. So it's what I always say is what you eat becomes a part of you. You are absolutely what you eat. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. so it's true. Uh, and what led you to write this book? Well, because of the fact that I just had all this information and, and working with patients and I, and it's so hard to get all that in just a few, you know, some a few sessions. <laughs> and I thought it's so, it, and it, it has, it, it's so much more relevance to the patient if they, they have, they, they're able to thumb through it. You know, some of the chapters are standalone. So it's not like you have to read page one, I mean, chapter one and go through every chapter. You could skip around and, and feel, you know, look at what's relevant to you and um, just have something tangible, something that they can hold in their hand and look up. I have some people that say, this is my Bible. And, and it's a man. Aww, too. Yeah. <laughs> this, is my, this is my nutrition man, you know, Bible. And I go, oh, that's great. So um, yeah, something that they can have and, and be and be a great resource to people. And, and my, my objective is to give people hope. And mm. because, and, and that there is hope and, and when they are feeling bad, when they feel like, oh, is this the way I'm going to be living the rest of my life? No, that's not. This is, you do have control over how you feel and how you're going to feel. Making these changes, I've seen incredible changes in just four weeks. I actually had a woman that could barely walk into the facility. She was so ridden with arthritis and she was just walking in so tenderly and, and I couldn't even get the treadmill slow enough for her to be on it. So in four weeks, she changed her, went, she went totally plant-based. She stopped eating the sugars, stopped eating all those saturated fats. That's, that's another culprit. And, and my goodness, and then working with her on the exercise three days a week, she changed in four weeks. So it was, it was incredible to see she came bouncing in and she hopped on the treadmill and I was, she was my star because I think what an amazing tribute to the, the diet, the lifestyle um, and her commitment to, to being better. I mean, she, it changed her life completely. And uh, I actually had one man that came in, we used to test their blood before they came in. He came in and the phlebotomist came to me and said, look at this, his blood was pink. It was pink. It's supposed to be red, <laughs> but it was pink. It, it went as thick and it was pink. It was so laden with fat in the blood. Oh, wow. And you can imagine if your body, if your heart is trying to pump this very thick, blood throughout your system, your blood's not going to last, your heart's not going to last. It's definitely going to give out. And as well as some of the other organs, they're just not going to get good uh, perfusion, good blood flow to the brain and also all to the ear working organs. Mm -hmm. so, but four weeks, you know, just, just commit to four weeks and, and, and you'll see some change. It just takes, you know, that positivity that you can do it and then you can make that change. Absolutely. I love that. And I love how positive you are about the changes. And I'm sure that your patients must adore you. And, and that's why you're you're doing so well. And I'm excited to read your book. You Is there anything else you would like to leave our audience with before we wrap up for today? Uh, 
Well, my my message is that is all about how to live longer without growing older. So mm-hmm. live a long life, but that doesn't necessarily live to a hundred plus. Um, but you don't have to have necessarily have to act like a hundred year old. You know? <laughs> I think the eighty they say eighty is the new sixty, mm-hmm. and, and my my motto is your age is a given, but growing old is a choice. So if we eat well, live a healthy lifestyle, we stay very positive that we can, uh, we can live long and without being old. Perfect. And where can people find your book? Uh, it's on Amazon, uh, as well as Barnes and Noble, Walmart, you know, wherever books are sold, but, but, uh, uh, Amazon would probably be the best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to say that, but Amazon just. Just as a this is a side note, Amazon tends to put books on sale and, and my books on sale. I never know when it's going to be, so yeah. So they're kind of like the the best, you know, so the best bargain. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your great energy and sharing such great information. That we really appreciate having you on the show, and we'll make sure that everybody has your contact information in the show notes. Uh, it, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Karen. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chrissy. Thanks for listening to this episode of HealthWise 360 here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.